Welcome to the Spindrift Podcast with me, Aoife Glass. Spindrift is a podcast all about bikes, cycling, people and adventure. Each week I'm joined by a different brilliant guest from pro riders to industry insiders and from community advocates to everyday adventurers. My guest this episode is Indian endurance cyclist Vidangi Kulkarni. She cycled solo around the world in 2018, aged just 19 when she started. It took her 159 days to complete the 29,000 kilometre trip and along the way she faced saddle sores, stomach upsets, an encounter with a grizzly bear, visa issues, a mugging at knife point, stunning landscapes and a whole lot more. So this episode is all about the epic adventures she had along her way. much for joining me for a chat today thank you so much for having me and whereabouts uh, are you based at the moment have you been out on any good rides locally i am based in christchurch near bournemouth oh nice um like all the way down south <laughs> and good rides yes over the weekend i rode quite a bit in the new forest oh lovely which is literally right around the corner from where I live and yeah it was beautiful we saw some really cool deer like literally jumping across like um the path that we were on it was beautiful you really notice wildlife I think when you're out out on your bike like you notice like the trees coming into bud and the baby squirrels throwing themselves around the place it's one of the things that I absolutely love about about riding my bike yeah definitely yeah I I love observing these things and as far as wildlife is concerned like from local to international like I've, I've had experiences with some really weird stuff out there like I got I got chased by a grizzly bear like wow. that, that was as far as wildlife is concerned, that's the closest I've come to actually dying by one of them. <laughs> wow. Um, we're definitely going to talk um, more about that. We have to talk more about that because, uh, yeah, that beats my close <laughs> encounter with a Forest of Dean wild boar. Somehow I think you're winning in the wildlife close encounter stakes. Um, but, I mean, there's so much we've got to talk about today. We, we have to talk about how you got into cycling. At, at what point you thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to cycle around the world and go for a world record attempt. And then also like what you've been doing afterwards and uh, some of the projects you've got coming up. I've also got some questions uh, from some of our listeners and fans thank you very much guys uh, so I will put those to you as well um so I guess let's let's take it right back to the beginning Vidangi um did you cycle as a child were you always into riding bikes no not at all <laughs> <laughs> no like um when I was a kid my parents used to well put me on their bikes and mm-hmm. take me places but I was always like locally or you know never too far yeah so I haven't yeah not not as a child I haven't ridden much I used to play professional like I used to play football professionally yeah um so yeah that was my thing until I did a certain really big ride and that like changed everything for me you you go oh I did a certain big ride it's like it's not just like my first big kind of oh I want to see how far I can go was from London to Lyme Regis it was 180 miles I mean you know the south coast it's not particularly challenging topographically 
But your first ride was like, <laughs> your first ride was, oh, I think I'm going to go and ride in the Himalayas. Where did that come from? Well, I was in a, oh my God, okay. It's kind of embarrassing. So me and um, my then boyfriend had gone for a short ride in the Himalayas. And when I say short, it was like 60 kilometers, not more than that. Yeah. And over there I met some people who were really cool and who spent far too much time in the mountains and they they were kind of like they, they saw me riding they were like oh my god you should try this ride um you know you go from Manali you go to Le, then you climb this mountain pass called Kardangla which is um well at the time I think it was known as like the highest motorable road in the world or whatever and then go on to Srinagar which is like you know, um, another city in the mountains. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to do that. But what happened was I was 17. And if you had to join Youth Hostel Associations of India or anybody else in like, you know, one of those group rides, you need to be over 18 mm -hmm. for insurance purposes or whatever it is. And everyone just said no, like, you know, because... 17 that's that's young like no like you need to be 18 you will turn 18 in just a few months and just a few months I don't have that time you know yeah. so I said to my parents I was like I really want to go I think I can do this yeah and what happened was in between me and my parents having this discussion and me actually leaving there was a football trial on national level at the national level yeah and I was there and I clearly didn't feel that passion for football anymore. Yeah. Uh, mostly because I was doing so bad and I, I didn't feel very comfortable being in that place. And there were so many reasons to it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I called my dad and I was like, I just want to go do that ride in the Himalayas. I don't want to do, like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Like, I know, like, when I do play, I'm good. Like, I can, I can do that. But mm. I don't think I'm going to be selected for the team here. And I'm just wasting my time. I want to ride. And then, yeah. And then he was like, okay, how about me and me and your mom, we kind of sit in a car and we are there somewhere in 50 kilometer radius or whatever. We're there. Yeah. We'll do our thing. You do yours. And I was like, yeah, fine. If that's what it takes. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't care. Yeah, let's do this. So that was finalized. But at the time, the problem was that I'd never ridden or like, 40 or 50 kilometers yeah. so you know a big part of it was at me knowing if I can even ride yeah so one of my mentors who has like had qualified for like race across America and stuff he was like right how about you start from your your home and 100 miles away there is this hill station called Mahabreshwar and he was like just ride to there and throughout the way if you feel like giving up just think about the strawberry cream ice cream you get at the top. Just think about that. Yeah. And, you know, you'll just feel like getting there. And I want to make this work. Yeah. I want to see how far I can take this. And I yeah. want to see if I'm capable of it. Yeah. And basically, it took me ages to do that 100 miles. Yeah. But yeah, it was totally worth it. Had a pizza, had that strawberry cream. Yeah, that was it. Like, that was then, like, I, I knew that I wanted to, like, ride my bike properly. Yeah. That was the Himalayan ride there. Like, that, there was, like, 
proper 800, 900 something kilometers. I don't even remember the distance, if I'm to be honest with yeah. you. All I do remember is there were like tons of mountain passes, <laughs> which was steep. And I had so many gears, like, you know, oh, yes. uh, it, it's one of those old school bikes that I still have actually. Yeah. Uh, it was a hybrid with three gears in the front and what, like 10 gears in the back? Eight, 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 maybe eight. Yeah. No, okay, sorry, my bad. Um, oh, but like, it's like so many gears. And now when I think about it, I'm like, oh my God, that's so uncool. <laughs> if it gets you up the mountains, then I think go for it. And you know what? It did. Yeah. I didn't even have a good bib shorts. I didn't know how to dress like a biker. Yeah. I just knew that what it takes to ride bikes is actually sitting on a bike and riding it. Like yeah. it doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you take along. Yeah. It doesn't even matter if you have like bike packing gear with yeah. you. You just go, you just sit on the bike, yeah. you find your route, you decide where you want to go and just, just go for it. Yeah. Like but That but, does yeah. remind me a bit like that, that first ride that I did from London to Lyme because I was on, um, I was riding, it was my brother's old hardtail mountain bike. So definitely the wrong kind of bike. Like I had thick <laughs> tyres. I mean, I must have spent half my energy just getting those tyres to roll on tarmac. I didn't have any kits. I didn't have any, I had a helmet. I had some gloves. I had like a, a waterproof bag that I kind of like um, elastic strapped it to the pannier rack on the back. I didn't have like pack, bike packing kits. And yeah, I'd started off and I had no idea whether I could even do it. And it's not quite the Himalayas, but like that sense at the end of it, it's like, oh my God, I can, I can do this. My body can take me this jerk, this distance that up until this point, I thought you needed to drive or get a train to get there. And you're like sitting there at the end, having, having an ice cream on the beach going, I am <laughs> flipping amazing. This body is amazing. And I want to do it again. Was it like that for you when you got, when you, when you sort of finished the ride? Yeah, it was like that, you know, the point where I actually believed in myself more, even more, because again, like, when I did that ride across Himalayas, I still had the safety net of knowing that my parents were somewhere around in a car. Yeah. yeah. But, okay, a few months after the Himalayan ride, I turned 18. And like five days after I turned 18, I packed everything I had. So I had like a bike box, um, a suitcase, sorry, a suitcase and a big rucksack. Yeah. And just with three things, I moved to the UK. Yeah. And I didn't know a single person, no family member, no friendships literally nobody and I I didn't even know how to get from Heathrow to Bournemouth wow. I had a very strong Indian accent and I couldn't I couldn't like make friends really easily in university because I was like and, and the lecturers they're awfully nice but like how does this work are you allowed to raise your hand yeah like are you allowed to go and talk to them? And, and where's the blackboard? Like, you know, that was that was my mentality because I, I grew up in conditions where we didn't have like, you know, projectors and yeah. <laughs> slideshows. You know, there was blackboard and chalk. And I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Um, and because of this whole kind of finding it hard to fit in and find friends, yeah. I was just riding my bike. And, and UK is a very safe place very safe place compared to India and then, then I was just like I would just get all of the lights I had put them in like strategic places in my body and just leave for riding in the night Wow! and I accidentally have ridden on like M27 which is like <gasps> uh, the motorway between like Southampton and oh my like, God. 
I've also ridden on like, you know, A31, the dual carriageway that yes. goes towards London. Oh man, I was like, no, someone's told me it's an A road, so I'm allowed to ride on it, so I'm gonna. Yeah. I was like, if trucks pass from close, they can do that thing. It's an A road, I'm allowed to ride it. That was my attitude. Um, yeah. Oh my God, like now I think back at like 2016 V and I'm like, oh, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> I love um, like you love like I'm I'm not gonna let this stop me. I'm just gonna do it. I am I'm just I'm gonna go and ride my bike because of course. But like yeah, that was kind of my mentality when I came here. Yeah. And I was training for London Edinburgh London and one fine day I I got this thing called an Apidura saddlebag. Ah. <laughs> anyway, uh right, I got that, I put that on my bike and I was like, okay how do I fit stuff in here then? How does this close and everything? Anyway, I planned out this 400 kilometer route on Google Maps, bear in mind. Nice. Um, <laughs> didn't have any navigational like devices, like no Garmin's or Wahoo's at all. And yeah. I was just like, okay then, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna just ride to London, then ride here and like, you know, ride back, like 400 kilometers, yeah. not that hard. And stopped somewhere, um in this village called Bentley because my bike broke my oh. pump had stuck on the valve and it just wouldn't move and I had just I had to tape it to my a spoke oh, just wow. so that it still worked yeah. kind of, you know and I was trying to fix that stuff and then this woman walked up to me and she started asking me questions and you know she figured out that I'm young and uh, she figured out I'm also like a foreigner she figured out that I am clueless about bikes <laughs> um and you know we had a good chat and then she went back um and then i was like wow it's getting late mm. my light isn't working. i do now and then i just saw that i was like it's a village like you know people in villages are nice they're like mountain people so i just knocked on the door yeah. and uh, on the other side was this lady oh. who had, had spoken with earlier so i all i said was can I please have a cup of tea? Um, <laughs> and then we ended up chatting and her husband, like he asked where I was going mm -hmm. later on and he put like a map in front of me and I was like, I just pointed at John the Groves because I was like other end of the country. Okay, logically, they, they, they must have realized that I'm an idiot. So they Aww. gave me the map, uh, let me stay at theirs. Next Aww, day they took me so to Alfred's, fixed my bike, um, got me some like, new kind of stuff like new pump obviously yeah. and you know some more tubes and puncture repairs and shit and yeah I was on the go and then I was like I don't know like along the way I was sleeping in the bus shelters wow. I did not know of the term wild camping uh, I didn't know of the term bike packing I didn't know of the term bike touring mm -hmm. I just knew riding bikes and yeah. that's what I thought I was doing without reading too much into situations and people I was just going with that feel of yeah oh like this person whose door I've just knocked doesn't feel right okay then I just I just won't I'll just yeah. say hello and you know yeah. it was kind of like that so I wasn't being an idiot I was just kind of like going with the feel yeah and yeah. and it was incredible one thing led to another and the next like a couple of weeks later I was in was it John Groves I'm sitting on this bench suddenly and I realized that I barely have any money mm -hmm. I have still made it across the country I'm so new to this yeah and that naivety is actually working for me rather than against me yeah I can do this ride around the world yeah. you know 
do you think that we get too bogged down now with with having kit like as uh, do you think there's like a sweet spot between having the right amount of kit or going out like as you did like just literally learning as you go there's no such thing as being too prepared but at the same time there is such thing as never leaving yeah you know <laughs> so, yep. and i'm um, in that place <laughs> so um that that's kind of like the way I think about Mm. it that's like for me at that point I was as prepared as I could be from my knowledge you know yeah and uh, along the way I realized how much I did not know yeah and then the same thing happened the next ride and the next ride and then the round the world ride like I just kept realizing oh my god there's so much that I don't know like I can plan for everything but there's so much that totally beyond me yeah that I can't control and there's my own fears mixed into it Mm -hmm. that that's if I don't keep going, then I'm never going to go. I'm never going to make it happen. Yeah. And isn't that the point of the whole thing, to make it happen? Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I think about it now. You fired me up now. I'm like, stop overthinking, Aoife. Start riding your bike. Um, okay, so you had this revelation sitting on a bench in John O'Groats. I am going to cycle around the world. How did you turn that thought? I can see you face palming right now. How did you turn that thought into into action? Like, how did you make it happen? <laughs> Not very well, if you ask me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but well enough to come back alive. I had this idea and then I told my dad about it and mm-hmm. then he got really hyped like ah. probably more hyped than me I did a lot of research and that added to it <laughs> and then he was like hey have you heard of this guy called Mark Beaumont and um and and then I like ended up watching uh his like documentaries and stuff but also like I I just kept messaging people who have done adventures and I just hoped someone would reply and tell me that, yeah, you've totally got it. People were actually that encouraging. Like, you know, people were telling me that, yes, you've got it, but have these things in place before you go. Or like, you know, these are the things that you need to plan out. Yeah. A part of me was like, there's a part of me which is like mega organized, which needs everything in place. Yeah. And that, that that went well for me because there were so many visas that I had to apply for, not just before leaving, but on the go. Oh, wow. So I hold an Indian passport. Yeah. It's impossible for me to travel anywhere, like to, well, to travel far without needing a visa along the way. Right. So, so that was like the beginning of challenges. But then I was like, no, no, no. I don't just want to ride my bike around the world. I want to go for the record to be the fastest woman to do it and the youngest. And I want to do it in 100 days. Wow. You know, like I was I was all like that. And I was 18 when I came up with the bloody ideas. Kind of like, who's going to take an 18-year-old saying those insane things seriously? Fortunately, some people did. And I had just enough money and like donated as well as um, a lot of it kind of sponsored and everything and just enough kit to actually get things on the road. Uh, Russian visa and Canadian visa sorted. um, And I was like, right, I'm ready to go kind of thing. And uh, Australian visa, obviously. So there you go. Like the V brain strikes and I decide to start in Perth, Australia, (laughs) other end of the world. (laughs) It is an interesting choice. I don't know. I just thought that would be cool. The idea was to ride 200 miles per day. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> I, I laugh at it because it was working until it wasn't working. Uh. <laughs> Within a few days, I got Within a few days, I had food poisoning. Well, oh, not food no. poisoning, some sort of stomach bug. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like the conversation is going to take a funny like turn now because uh, I was doing great mileage until then. And then when the food poisoning happened, um, my stomach was doing funny things, including having an accident whilst actually riding. Oh, no. And the funniest thing was, this happened near a place called Putera. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up, can if you? Nothing else. Your digestive tract has an amazing sense of timing. Stomach bug aside, yeah. a few really interesting things happened in Australia. Stomach bugs, dead kangaroos, and the huge ones which were alive aside, this gangster-like guy on like day three, day two, something like that of my mm -hmm. ride was throwing like cans of cokes at me because he thought that was a nice thing to do to a girl alone riding her bike, which was actually like, I was just like catching them and putting them in the pockets and stuff. And then he stopped me and, um, and, and he was telling how he's had like experience with going to prison and stuff and you know he's killed people before and you know that's just something you tell a stranger because that's a fun thing you know and wow. it, it was really weird because this guy was telling me all these things and then he called his wife and daughter and he was like oh I really want you to talk to my wife and daughter and things like that and okay obviously not in that accent but in his accent <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and I I whipped my phone out of my pocket and I had unlocked in the pocket because I am good like that um, yeah. and then he takes my phone from me he dials his own number and and he's like now you have my number if you need anything if any oh and, and like the precise words he used were if any motherfucker gives you trouble I'm the one you call that's what he said wow so I was like whoa I have got protection in yeah. Australia <laughs> um it was beautiful though like Australia is beautiful yeah. and it also made me question how kangaroos haven't gone extinct because there's so many dead dead ones on oh, the road God. like yeah that was like that was australia and then i did north island of new zealand which yeah. was really beautiful and i really regret not doing south island but you know what that was just one of the things that i didn't plan enough about you know yeah, so yeah. never mind you started in perth yeah so you traveled down the south of australia the nullarbor desert by the way weirdly is a good place for hunting for meteorites next time you're there my ex-colleagues from the natural history museum used to go meteorite hunting there so so across australia to new zealand and then you went up to canada next was it yeah so that wasn't the plan the plan was to go to alaska ah. <laughs> uh, but i didn't get the visa so i had applied for one but the date for interview that they gave me was meant to be when I was already like out of Alaska and into Canada. And I was like, it's pointless. One of the things I was doing was booking flights last minute. Decide if, if I wanted to stay in a hotel, like there was no such thing as like booking it uh, in advance. It was always like I would stand outside the hotel and go on Expedia. And go, <laughs> Mostly I was just camping anyway. Canada was a whole... It was it was beautiful. First of all, yeah, landed in Canada, and I was like, "Oh my God, can I just live here? Can I just never <laughs> leave? Like this is this is just the place." So I started from Squamish. They were having like one of the worst like forest fires at the time. Yeah. So within the first two days of being in Squamish, I got um, lung infection. Oh no! Um, <laughs> it was quite funny because the day I started riding, I had like high fever, and I was. Like, <gasps> 
my, my friend Callum, uh, who was going to film, he had landed that day and he was there and was like, wow, you look really in a bad state. And I was like, I know, I have fever. But started the ride and it was so beautiful. Um, along the way, I realized that I just never wanted the Rockies to end. Oh, like, wow. that's like the place I was in. It was yeah. really beautiful. But also I was really struggling because of the lung infection. Yeah. Uh, at one point I collapsed at the top of a mountain pass uh, because there was this climb that I, obviously, again, I wasn't planning using Komoot or anything sophisticated. I had pre-planned my route using like, I think it was Ride with GPS that I had used. But I hadn't, I didn't look into the statistics of like, you know, like I hadn't looked into all oh, that elevation and this yeah. and that. I didn't want to see that because I thought I would get scared and not want to do it. Yeah. So I didn't see. And I was I didn't expect that for there to be like this steep-ish 35 kilometer climb. Uh, and yeah. then I obviously I was barely able to breathe. I was stopping at the side of the road and just crying. And then there was this film people, they were just like filming me when I was doing all those things. And I was just like, fuck off. Whose idea was it to planned this fucking ride around the world and I was going all that and then I was like no I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this you've got this you've got this and then I played some queen uh, music and nice. I kept going but then I got to the top and I was like oh, 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 oh. and you know when you put your foot on the ground the next thing I remember from that is opening my eyes with my feet up on like like balancing on the car and just going why is everyone looking at me you're like where am I (laughs) that was like also a realization that it's okay if I'm not okay you know I can stop I don't have to quit I just have to stop rest yeah take stock of the situation yeah and at the time I remember like there was a lot of negativity around me in a way that there was a lot of doubt that I wasn't going to be able to do it because that happened to me. Yeah. And the fact that I was struggling so much and all of that. And it killed me to think about it and to think about the fact that those who were in my immediate surroundings didn't even believe that I had it in me. Yeah. And I went back down the hill to Pemberton. Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck everyone. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go back. Keep going. I'm going to do this. I don't, I don't care who thinks I can or cannot do it. Yeah. I need to do it for myself because I know that I can. Yeah. So I went back and the ride continued. Everything was going great until I got chased by a bear. Let's um, talk about that. So whereabouts were you when this happened? And, and how terrifying must that have been? Because those animals are not small. They're not. Not when they're standing and like you, you kind of see how massive they are and you're like, oh my God. What happened? Were you just riding along and it was in the road? Yes, I was riding along. I was listening to Megan Hines' uh, book, uh, Mind of a Survivor. Uh-huh. And I was listening to the chapter where she says that male grizzlies are predators i clearly remember that because i was like i know there are going to be bears around so i'm going to remember that and i was on the last hill of glacier national park and um it was like kind of like a ditch you know yeah where you're down one and almost going up another and i looked at my right and there was like um three grizzlies um there was a cub obviously the cub was drinking milk of the mother so it was obvious which one was the mother yeah. and um then there was this other, other like really really big one and the big one was like standing on his two feet I was like, oh no it's seen me and you know when your eyes match and you just know it's it's a bad situation yeah yeah that happened and then 
I knew that was like that that could have been it. So I kind of stood on my pedals and I was like, I'm gonna go for it. And I was like, I was riding up. There's two lanes going up, one coming down. Yeah. And I ended up on the other side of the road for some reason because I was like, I don't know what I was doing. And my bear spray was inside of a hat inside of my hydration pack. You know the helmet thingy, the hydration pack. And in the whole panic, I sprayed the whole hat with the bear spray. Oh no. no. But like I was I was riding up, 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 up. And a big kind of lorry comes from the (gasps) other side. It's screeching its brakes and it's honking. And I'm like, oh my god, it's right in front of me. Like and and then then, like a bear behind what? Like what's happening? And it stopped like inches away from me in the end. Oh my god. And I remember clearly, I was like, my eyes clenched going, this is, this is it, this is it. But yeah, it wasn't it. But <laughs> the bear passed very close from me into the valley. So, um, because it must have gotten scared from the honking and everything. The stories from this adventure are amazing. I'm glad you're alive, obviously, number one. But wow. Was, how was the rest of Canada? Was it fairly relaxed after that? It, it was quite all right after that. Um, yeah. And, and in the prairies, I was like, when I hit the flats, I was like, I'm going to go for it. But then there was like a challenge because I hadn't started from Alaska. Yeah. I had to cover shit tons of miles. And oh. I had to literally... I, I went on Google Maps, I went on my ride with GPS plan thing, and I was trying to like make up for all the miles by planning this weird zigzag route along Canada, um, and still kind of trying to keep to the Guinness rules. Um, what are the and, rules, actually? Is there a certain mileage that you have to do for it to count? Yeah, so 18,000 miles, wow. at least. Uh, which is like 29,000 kilometers almost. Um, you have to cross two antipodal points. Uh, so for me, it was Wellington in New Zealand and Madrid in Spain. Right. You are only meant to go in one direction and you're only meant to use the one bike that you have. And you start and finish at the same place. Yeah, okay. I had to cover 18,000 miles and like that was very clear. And for me to like have least worries about the rest of my route, I was like, okay, somehow I want Montreal or Ottawa that, that way yeah. to be my halfway point. And for that to happen, I have to cover a lot of Canada in any way I can. So I made this horribly zigzag route where I knew that if I went straight, it would be 50 kilometers. But if I went up there and down, yeah. it would be like much more than that. <laughs> um just doing that i got to my halfway point in ottawa the main challenge there was to apply for my schengen visa Uh, because it what didn't matter was how fast i went at that point what mattered was i could go as fast as i wanted to halifax but if i don't have a schengen visa i'm not going anywhere yeah so going from embassy to embassy like literally begging for a visa for portugal or you know or spain or anywhere and i remember um we were sitting in some burger joint yeah this random guy just kind of was walking by and he was like oh my god what are you doing great bike this and that and he was like you should definitely go iceland and i was like iceland hmm right in between maybe we could do that i looked into which embassies offered that and danish embassy did and at the time i was carrying this pouch with letters from prime minister of india from like external affairs ministry of india from sports ministry of india all of that yeah and all of the letters basically said that this girl is an idiot just give her the visas (laughs) well it didn't say that but you get the picture the Danish embassy, the guy must have felt bad for me because he told me that he had received calls from two other embassies about me. 
So he invited me in, gave me a cup of tea, and he told me that, okay, look, you have to prove how much money you have in the bank, you have to prove this, that, and so I just showed him all of the proof that I had. I showed him the email from Guinness about the world record attempt, and I was just like, um well he did he helped me he gave me literally the next day right that later i found out he was the ambassador and he gave me a flag of denmark and said like when you go to denmark like take a photo with it oh that's Um, so lovely (laughs) it was it was really lovely that was the beginning of the end for the record attempt side of things for me right so after that i hit some proper headwinds because there was like a storm coming from the other side and I was going really slow and then I when I flew over to Iceland from Halifax I was going to take a day break because Mm -hmm. I was really tired from the storms yeah and I was going to leave for like this planned route and then Iceland had one of the worst storms storms they have ever had and I was just like are you fucking kidding me um but what really ended it was I got hit by a minibus. So I still insisted that I don't care if there's a storm, I'm still going to keep going. Yeah. So I went, I got on the road with all of my stuff and I left. And um, I couldn't see the cars, the cars couldn't see me. Yeah. I didn't even realize when I was on the side of the road, I was like, is this how cycling feels? Oh, wait, no, I'm on the side of the road and I'm hit my, I've hit my head, my helmet's a bit dented. And then, yeah, all of that considered, then I kind of went back to Reykjavik and flew to Portugal because I was like never mind yeah and then like the one the bit that actually absolutely just like finished the record attempt was what happened in Spain um a couple guys on a motorcycle were stalking me and um well long story short they pushed me off my bike beat me up a Beat, beat me up and and I was held at knife point like the knife was right at my neck and yeah. someone was taking all of my stuff off of my bike and at that point like I I was <laughs> so scary like now when I think about it like even when like a kitchen knife is just lying around yeah. I can't stand it like I have to like put it back where it goes yeah. because I'm just no knives around me no kind of thing um yeah. I've done you know I've done self-defense courses and shit yeah I thought I could take him down if I wanted. But the thing was, at that point, all I had to do was keep calm and not do anything stupid. Yeah. And probably the one thing that I did right in that moment was that I was memorizing the number plate. And, you know, I was kind of like trying to keep my senses you know yeah, sharp. sharp I was yeah. like and and keep the fear away and I was like okay and the next thing I knew like I was like thrown down the side of the road I hit my head on there I hit my head on the uh, ground and I think I was unconscious then I heard a thud which was the bike landing on me yeah so it was me and my bike down there and when I touched the bike I didn't remember where I was or anything but I knew exactly where my headlamp was because you know when you live on your bike you know these things I I found my way eventually back up to the road and my stuff was sprawled across the road oh god whatever I found I put it on my bike kept walking uh there was a gas station yeah and the guy in the gas station was incredibly kind um he but he saw like my lips were like bruised and my um, nose was bleeding and there was stuff around. Like I was bruised quite a bit. Yeah. Um, 
for obvious reasons and um and and from there like like I was taken to hospital because well he was like okay let's like first have a cup of coffee and uh fortunately very fortunately I was wearing like four layers yeah and in the layer closest to my body was my phone my passport and my UK biometric residence permit now those were the most important things that I could not have afforded to lose at that point yeah yeah I got to the hospital first they said I needed to be admitted I just refused to that straight away I was like no way no one's keeping me in the hospital um and then they suggested like I don't ride and I was like fuck that I am gonna ride I'm I'm racing and the guy later on was telling me that I kept repeating myself over and over again so I kept saying I'm racing and I kept saying like this number yeah which started with b and ended in six and that's how they figured out that it was a motorbike yeah the license plate and then I don't know eventually the guys were caught or whatever but like that that essentially got them caught you know yeah yeah I I, I, like everything like the coffee and whatever I had had um I kept like throwing that up you know I couldn't keep it in yeah and I was like really finding it hard to balance it was it was traumatic head injury like it's they're bad like in the couple of days um like um, obviously I was told not to go anywhere but I um what did you do so you didn't go into hospital did you book a hotel or or did you go into no, hospital someone else booked it for me right yeah but then like someone else also like invited me into their family home and first night I'd stayed there second night like I went to the uh, motel place yeah. and there I kind of decided that I can't go to India. Yeah. I can't go to the UK because in Canada, my UK visa got curtailed. I was out of the country for too long. Uh, and if there was any place that at the time I thought of as home, it was the UK, Yeah. not, not India. Yeah. So I was kind of like, the only option left is to keep going. Yeah. I did. And it was hard. It was really hard. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but anything could make me cry. Anything. Yeah. If someone haunted me, I would stop at the side of the road and cry. Yeah. Um, I couldn't keep food down. Yeah. I lost a lot of weight. Yeah. I was riding, like, to ride 100 kilometers at one point on the first day that I got on the road it took me eight hours wow people run 100 kilometers faster than that yeah yeah I didn't give myself even a day break after I was like I need to keep going I have to like the only thing that that I had in my head was like 29,000 kilometers and and this lasted right this lasted all the way from where this happened to probably in France yeah so like no, even Belgium probably, yeah. Like at that point, mm. from 200 miles, I was down to 100 kilometers, then 100 miles, yeah. then 200 kilometers. I decided even if it takes me a whole day without sleep, I will do over 300 kilometers wow. regardless of how I feel. Yeah. And when I did that, that one day, it took me just over 24 hours. And I was yeah. like, okay, I think I'm better now. Uh, I, I think I averaged like 350 kilometers yeah. or so in order to go from like across Germany, like Denmark, yeah. Sweden, into Finland. And then, but then obviously I had to apply for a Russian visa because I still had to go to Russia. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, I'm going to go across Russia, across Kazakhstan, into Mongolia, and then to Australia. That was like the plan. Yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah. it didn't happen like that what ended up happening was my Russian visa took like 
seven days or oh, eight days something yeah. and I spent those days in the Arctic there was a lot of ice and snow yeah. and stuff. I was like a wild camping up there and trying oh. to learn how to make um shelters and trying to learn how to save myself from cold and snow yeah. if it happened to me in Russia and if I had to like get in that situation uh when my visa was there winter cycling till Ufa in Russia and then then like obviously then I flew to India yeah rode a lot in India where I again got like stomach bug <laughs> yeah. one of the most challenging things about riding in India was uh obviously my parents lived in India at the time now they live in Oman we're going to be in 50 kilometers radius again but oh. obviously for them it must have been super hard because their daughter almost died like a few times yeah and now they're getting to see her kind of thing but for me it was like too many people I just want to be alone I just want to ride my bike and I was I was being the the daughter again the 17 year old yeah I find myself (laughs) slipping into that sometimes with my parents I was like oh mom just leave me alone Um, (laughs) even though I'm far too old to be behaving that way so I, I feel like I understand maybe not the exact context but I think I know where you're coming from but it was kind of like it's an unsupported ride what are you doing you know that was you're not allowed to carry any of my stuff and you're gonna have to see me struggling and and you know the mentor that I mentioned who had qualified for race across America and everything it was really sweet he joined for the final 1000 miles oh lovely obviously not not supporting but obviously he was like there to keep me company and it was incredible like yeah that was really cool because I felt you know that sense of belonging Mm. and that sense of achievement that comes with having people that you love around you yeah and I didn't even think that having my parents when I finished 29,000 kilometers not not at the finish line the finish line was in Perth yeah but having my parents when I had those 29,000 kilometers done or like when I crossed that mark yeah was incredible it was like oh my god that's so cool like they're there but what happened was in the last when I had 999 kilometers left so technically three days to go yeah my Australian visa had expired oh no so I had to apply for an Australian visa all over again and that meant that it took five days instead of three so like I went to like I got to the point where I had done 29,000 I'd done a little bit more than that Mm -hmm. and I was just waiting in a hotel for my visa going I just need to fly to Australia like honestly I would have been in Australia right now yeah (laughs) when I got to Australia and so I went tubeless all around the world right yeah so I in this fancy hotel I opened the zipper of my wheel pouch and it's just yeah it's just mess and I didn't have a tube a spare tube I may as well have like walked to the finish line at that point which is exactly what I did like I just walked to wherever the finish line was um which was in front of someone's house and they had very kindly hosted like a mini party kind of situation yeah but like I was there and there were so many people and I was like but I've just come back I just want my space um I know it sounds horrible but yeah the next day like me and my dad had so many cocktails oh my god we got proper drunk that was great that was like Christmas day celebrations in Australia (laughs) (laughs) oh my god what a story um, let's talk about some of the, the questions that we have. Heather Lethbridge wants to know, how did you deal with nutrition and keeping your energy levels up while you were riding? Subways. <laughs> <laughs> 
Low high tech sports nutrition. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> I stopped at as many shops that I could find. Uh, I'm mostly a vegetarian. Like when I eat meat, I really struggle digesting it. Let's put it like that way. Yeah. A lot of, so- I had so many Subway sandwiches and that was also like a priority, right? So I had to get the food that I could eat on the go. We've got uh, Lucy Spielberg would like to know, how did you deal with getting your period every month while you were riding? Oh, with with difficulty. (laughs) So I was using a menstrual cup, but it got confiscated on Russian border. It got confiscated? Um, Yeah, like, let's not get there. It was just kind of weird. It was kind of like... It just didn't make any sense, but whatever. There were times when the cup got stuck. I, I, I don't mean to sound gross. No, but it's, this is fascinating. Yeah, when that happened and when I got scared of it, yeah. then I would just bunch up tissue papers and put them on the chamois of the um, yeah. uh, cycling. And that was it. Like I would just ride like that. Gross. Absolutely gross. I do not recommend. Like, But then I grew up in India. We don't, we don't have a concept of tampons like nobody teaches you those things you yeah. use like cotton pads instead yeah and I was like no tampons but then I got used to a menstrual cup one of the first things I did when I came back after around the world was getting an implant uh, because I just didn't want to worry about this anymore yeah <laughs> then we have another question uh, also from Heather Lethbridge did you get saddle sores and if so how did you manage that or were you fine I got saddle sores when I had stomach bug yeah well which was kind of obvious um, because you know I literally pulled my pants at some point um, so we get this thing called Kailas Jeevan in India which is like probably an Indian version of pseudo cream uh, but yeah. I remember my parents had given me the a kind of jar of that before starting I didn't particularly like use it that much I was yeah. more like just putting extra padding using tissues and stuff and sometimes using two shorts but in a sneaky way fortunately they didn't like the bad ones didn't last for very oh, long good. like and I was like eating some kind of painkillers and stuff but that was only when it was like really bad and when I actually had to keep going yeah so yeah how did you keep motivated you know what what kept you going when you were like oh you know maybe I just want to stop now you know I find usually find answering this question so hard when I'm in a good mood And, and also, like, when you've come back from such a big ride, you usually do remember just the good bits. Yeah. Like, there's no exaggeration in that. You really do. But um, when I was in, like, some really dark times because of the concussion or because of some other external fact, like, I had a playlist which was specially for those moments. And I never touched that playlist un- until I was in that place. Yeah. And then I would also like call up some friends who I know, like talking to him, I know I'll get, get like feel better. Yeah. Um, and I just call my friends and they would perk me up and then they would recommend me some of the songs that we used to listen to when we used to live together and sit on the same sofa and, you know, drink Sambuca. And that those were the moments which made me realize that when I, if I keep going, if I finish this, just quick enough I'm gonna be be back there yeah and I'm gonna get to experience those moments back again so it was kind of stuff like that and talking to my parents also like massively helped I had gone and done a bungee jump without telling my parents once ever since then my dad always says that you could do that you can do anything and like because of that attitude that he has yeah every time I was in that moment I was kind of like yeah you you did that bungee jump you can do this like you know and and I had a thing written on my top tube which said harden the fuck up right now 
I'm not encouraging toxic positivity, but I am encouraging that when you do feel shit, there's always a part of you which even you know that wants to keep going. Yeah. All of these little things that you can do, pull that part of you up and help you feel motivated again, even a little bit. And I always knew that that was always going to be a little phase of my journey where I felt that shit. What would be your message to someone who's is thinking about doing an adventure but they, they haven't quite made it happen yet for whatever reason whether or not whether it's because you know maybe they think they don't have the right kit or they haven't got the experience what what would be your advice it would be to look at what you have because it's easy to look at everything you don't have so look at what you have look at what you're planning to do and look at how you can do it with what you have and just go for it because everything that you don't have like it can't stop it's not going to be bad enough to stop you you know unless it's something literally like i i can't i can't climb a mountain or like i don't know i'm trying to think of something oh yeah i can't ski but i want (laughs) to i want to go up that snowy mountain and just try and send a black kind of like you know probably don't do that that's not a good idea (laughs) blue (laughs) but like um just just having that little belief in yourself and that that belief you can't nobody can put that in you yeah you can only kind of see it when you put yourself in the situation when you have to deal with some stuff that you didn't know before and then you dealt with it and now you know it and then you suddenly go oh I can do this now yeah and like you know nobody can give you that that just comes with putting yourself in the situation so Literally go with everything that you know that you have or you think that you have. Like I didn't know how to fix a puncture properly. So I got the um, the yeah. pump stuck on the valve, had to duct tape the whole pump to the spoke. When all of those things happen, like yeah. there's always, there's a solution that's literally like waiting to happen as well. <laughs> I think it often involves duct tape. That's one thing I have learned from doing anything outdoors. Or zip ties, readjustable zip ties. Ah, oh, zip ties and duct tape, they will fix everything pretty much oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for for chatting with me Uh, we've covered so much we could cover so much more so hopefully maybe we'll get you back for another chat um before after your next adventure and uh, yeah (laughs) good luck with the next one thank you so much Thanks for listening to the Spindrift Podcast. My guest for this episode was endurance cyclist Vidangi Kulkarni. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to leave a review and hit subscribe so you are among the first to hear when new episodes are released. And I'm not just saying this, but there are some really brilliant guests coming up. Finally, head over to Instagram at spindrift underscore podcast and join in with our growing Spindrift community.